0: Oh, sorry. I didn't realize my sound was on. It might go off again when it hit 15 minutes. Sorry. Um, came to believe in a uh, power greater than myself. Um, I've had a number of spiritual experiences in AA. Um, probably too many to recall uh, in 15 minutes. Uh, but I chose three that were really important and really powerful for me. Um... And then, just the kind of the uh, visualization from the reading uh, those beautiful moments you know when i I remember my first one, I was about two months sober, and I was driving through Geneva on my way home from a job. It was a really long drive, and I remember looking up and seeing the architecture on the old buildings and i I', I had driven through there a hundred times and never really noticed it before. you know I was always in my head thinking about something else, maybe getting to a drink, maybe getting away from a drink i don't know, uh, but I noticed it, and that was really the first time i Early in sobriety, I felt my higher power um, it, it brought tears to my eyes you know it really did just just the architecture um, so that was you know when I first got here, I thought I had a really good understanding of God my higher power whatever uh, and i I came uh, to understand that I really have no idea you know what he it is um, how it works but I, I know it's it's there because I've had these experiences. Uh, like the ones I'm supposed uh, about to share with you uh, that were just too much to be coincidence. Um, so the first one I've worked with a lot of guys um, since i've you know been a year sober. Um, my my sobriety date is uh, January third, two thousand eleven I'm coming up hopefully on six years um, And I worked with a guy, and uh, he just couldn't stay sober. He was actually my sponsor was working with him, but we became friends through that process, and um, really close friends. He worked with me, and we shared a lot together, and he just couldn't get more than a couple months together. And I didn't understand why, because I seemed to be, after my first four months, seemed to be getting this very easily, um, whether I was just doing more work than him, I don't know. Uh, but there was this one time, I was uh, down in the city, I was on a like blind date, kind of, and we were at a coffee house, in the middle of the day on a Wednesday, which I would have never have been there at that time. Um... And so, you know, it wasn't going to go anywhere. I knew that kind of from how it went. So we just said, said our goodbyes, said thank you, and I took off down Alexander. And there I see this young man crossing the street. And I pulled over and I, you know, I, I was like, geez, you know, funny to see you here, you know. And he was like, yeah, yeah. And he had a Gatorade bottle in his, in his right hand and he was walking across the street. I asked him where he was going. He said he was going to parole to check in. I was like, oh, great, you know. And then I smelled alcohol, you know. And I was like, Wow. I said, "You're going to parole, huh?" He goes, "Yeah, yeah. I just got done. I'm heading downtown." I said, "Oh, okay." I said, that's good, you know." And I said, "I smell booze." I said, "You, you know, you've been drinking today." And he's like, "No, no, no, no. I'm good, you know." And so I was like, "Okay." So you know, I kind of left, and um, not really thinking anything. I gave him a hug, said our goodbyes, and um, my sponsor had shared with me later that day. Aaron, or sorry, I wasn't supposed to use his name. He called my sponsor, his sponsor, and he said what happened. Uh, so the next day I saw my sponsor and we were talking and I told him what happened and I was, he was like, yeah, he goes, do you realize he had just had his first drink? He had just been let out of jail. He was out of jail for about a week. Um, and he had just had his first drink literally a minute and a half before he saw me, right? And that was just the coincidence. It's not a coincidence. There's no way that's a coincidence. The Statistical possibilities of that happening at that moment in time, just after he had his first drink, boom, I pop out of nowhere. You know, that's higher power to me. You know, that's how my higher power works today. It works through people, with interactions, with all you people. You know, when I've had tough times, I see people in a grocery store, you know, that just out of nowhere, and they're there, just right there in front of me. Yesterday I saw a woman in traffic, you know. And it was just, it was funny, you know, just a, when I'm looking for recovery, I see recovery everywhere. When I'm looking for disease, when I'm looking for negativity, I'll see that too. It's really my choice what I see today. Um, The second instance um, was, this didn't happen too long ago actually, just about a month ago, um... I was waiting at the bus stop with my son. My son has, has disabilities, a Down syndrome. We were waiting to get on the bus, school bus. He's 12 years old. He's going to sixth grade. But this was him just finishing up his summer program. And um, it was like the last couple days of summer program. And um, out of nowhere, this woman walks like into my field of vision. And I'm just getting called on the bus. And he goes, Daddy, who's that lady? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> I said, just get on the bus and you know, I'll talk. And she looked distraught. She looked uh, dirty, you know, she looked like she hadn't had anything to eat in a while. And she said, you know, she gave me her name. She said, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit lost. There's supposed to be a aqueduct through here that leads to, she was trying to get to the 96 to go to Farmington. And I was like, well, no, this is a Pittsburgh neighborhood. And I said, you know. And she explained to me she had just gotten out of the hospital. She had been slept outside last night and been stung by about 17 hornets. Went to the hospital to get treated and was just let out. She walked all the way down Elmwood Avenue, up the street, which is dead end street, to my ex's house where I was getting cold on the bus, and um, and asked me for help. And I was like, I don't know if I can. I'll do the best I can, you know. I got Cole on the bus. I, I got her in the car. I said, listen, have you eaten anything? And she said no. And at this point, I had about $20 in my bank account. I'm self-employed. Sometimes money's there. Sometimes it's not. It's just part of self-employment. At this time, there wasn't. But I spent, you know, seven of my last $20 to get her some food. Um, we talked. She had said she came to Rochester to see her mother, or grandmother, who had since died and been shipped back to North Carolina, her and her son, 21-year-old son, had drove into Rochester. They were sleeping in a, uh, in a parking lot, and the cops came and impounded her car. Um, so she, she and her uh, boy now were, were homeless and carless and had no way to get around. So uh, I said, you know, maybe we can drive you somewhere your son might be. And she said, well, he was at a temporary ag- agency across in chi uh, hopefully getting a job. Maybe they can let me know where he is so I can go and find him. So I said, okay, get something to eat. I drove her across town to Chai Lai. This was, again, at noon. Well, it might have been 10 o'clock in the morning. I should have been at work already. But I said, you know what? I called my worker. I said, well, let's not work today. Um, I got some stuff I got to take care of. This is kind of important. So we drove her to Chai Lai. And sure enough, we pull in, walk in. There's her son at the counter, right? He's there trying to get work. Um, he looks... Worse than she does. He's got, you know, I'm not sure what kind of fluid he had on him, but he looked dirty. He looked like he hadn't showered in a while. Um, So I I went next door to Subway. I got him something to eat. And I said, you know, I said, what are you guys going to do? What's your plan? And my sponsor always says, financial, you shouldn't give people financial help, you know, but these people were in trouble. And I, you know, I didn't have a lot of money to give. I had $200 in a savings account. I pulled it out. I went over to Towpath Motel. I got them a, a hotel for two nights. Um, you know, and I just said, good luck, I hope this helps, because this is all I got, literally, I can't help you anymore, I can maybe give you rides, I can be phone support, but that's it. Um, They did the two days, Uh, somehow they got separated again, she ended up in Geneva, he was back in Henrietta at the Rochester, or Henrietta Library, sleeping outside on a bench, Uh, she texted me, called me, said, he's in trouble, he's hungry, you know, we're not sure what to do. And I still had no work, still had no money, but I went and picked the kid up. Um, I got a McDonald's, and we drove to a bus stop downtown, the RTS bus uh, terminal. I had never been there before in my life. So me and this kid, 21-year-old kid, he's thanking me up and down. We're walking to the bus terminal, see if we can get him a bus to Geneva, which is probably only 10 to $15. But, you know, being that I had really no money left, that was a lot to me. But it was worth it. Um, and we're walking into the bus stop, and I see an ex-sponsee of mine sitting out front up with his bike. He's like, man, he goes, I was just thinking about you. He goes, I was trying to get your number. I erased everything in my phone. I wanted to start calling you again. And I was like, well, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so I said, here's my number, and start calling me tomorrow. You know? And then the kid, the 21-year-old kid's looking at me like, How do you know these people? You know, it's just he was amazed. I was amazed. I was like, this is crazy. Uh, Again, no way that's a coincidence. Statistical possibilities of that are just way, way off the charts. Um, We went in there. There was no bus from there to Geneva. So I was there for one reason, to see that kid, to give him my number, right? When a hand reaches out, I'm supposed to be there. That's, you know... Declaration of Unity and the Responsibility Statement are things we read it at my home group, so I, that was ingrained in me. Um, so I took that kid over to the Greyhound bus stop, um, and, you know, I, I got him on a bus, and, well, the bus didn't come until 8 o'clock the next morning. This was like 8 or 9 o'clock at night. So I talked to the guy. He allowed to let him sleep there in the bus terminal. If you had a ticket, he said you'll go. So we bought him a ticket. I gave him $10 for food and drinks until the morning, he got to where he was supposed to go. His mom texted me about three days later, said, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. You're like, you know, it's just amazing what you've done. And I was like, I'm really just following the footsteps I'm supposed to be following. You know, service is what I'm supposed to be doing. And it's not just service in AA, service in, for me, any part of life, right? So I just shared that. I started meeting with my sponsor again. We met today. I explained that whole story to him, right? And he was just like, wow, you know, that's amazing. And so my spiritual experience now is somebody else's spiritual experience, and I had to let him know that because he was involved in it, you know? So now we both benefit from this, you know? And, and that for me is, again, my higher power, you know? How could it not be? When I'm on the right road, when I'm doing the right things, when I'm focused on the right things, the next good thing happens, right? When I'm focused on negativity, myself, my situation, me, 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 I... I negative things happen. That's just, you know, you can be here or here. You can't travel both roads at once. You just can't. And I've talked with my sponsor about that a number of times. Um, so it's uh, countless other spiritual experiences, you know, being a good father to my kids. Um, I see people when I'm supposed to see them, you know. Um, some And today I can see... Even the negative things that I used to perceive as negative that happened in my life, I can draw some good out of them today, right? I can see them and say, okay, you know, maybe it's always hindsight. I can never see it at the time, but I can always look back on it and get the lesson eventually. Um, So I can see why I was broke when I was broke for those people so that it was a big thing to draw out that little bit of money that I had to give it to them, right? Otherwise, if I had lots of money in the bank, I might not have appreciated that as much. You know, I really appreciated it because it happened the way it happened, you know. And it's, uh, everything today seems to happen like that. You know, when I explained it to my sponsee today, I said, it's like being in a snowstorm, you know. I'm in a snowstorm, I've got, I can't see three feet in front of my face, but I can see the next footprint in the snow. And I step into that footprint, you know. And then I can see the next footprint in the snow, and I step into that footprint. And as long as I keep doing that, Good things keep happening, right? And I can see the positives, and, and positive things happen in my life, and I'm able to help others. And through doing that, I talked with another guy, and he was like, you know, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Real quick, third story. I just remembered it. Another, what's that? Oh, sorry. I was waiting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm going down to Canadegua. I had just started to sponsor this guy about three days before this trip down to Canadegua. I'm going to pick up a check for a job. Um, I'm driving back through Canandaigua, and I got $200 in my pocket. I've just deposited, you know, $1,900 check, so I've got some money. I'm like, I'm going to stop and gamble a little bit, right? I was a problem gambler, so I shouldn't have been stopping to gamble. Right? So I took the money. I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm gambling, and I'm like, this is the same damn thing. I'm, I'm like, literally, I'm like focused on the machines, and I just went to this, like, tunnel vision. I'm like, what are you doing? This is, you might as well be, you know, not drinking, but, you know, it's the same thing. I was, I was numbing out. With that machine. And so I I packed up the money after I lost about a hundred bucks. I stand up, I turn around, there's the guy. At the same time, within 15 feet of me, I'm staring right at him, and he's swishing a drink. And I could tell by the way he's swishing a drink what he's swishing, you know, and he won't look at me. I'm standing right there, and he's looking this way, and I'm looking dead at him waiting for him to recognize me, and he won't look at me. And he says to the guy he's with, he's like, I got to go to the bathroom. I see him going to the bathroom, but I don't confront the bottle. You know, I just don't. So I let that go. And because uh, I actually wasn't even sure it was him, I only saw him once. It looked like him. I was pretty sure it was him, but I didn't want to go up and say, "Hey, are you my sponsee?" And have the guy like, "What? what are you talking about? You're crazy." So a week later, me and my son uh, hiked Mount Marcy. Um, coming back from that trip, uh, the guy gives me a call right on the phone. It's 9 a.m. in the morning. We're traveling back. And he's like, "Hey," he goes, "You know, I got to talk to you about something." I said, "That was you last Monday night." And he goes, "Yeah." And I go, "Why didn't you say anything?" He goes, "I was embarrassed." I said, "That's okay." You know, I said, "Just resume. You can start calling me again." He said, I gave my car away and I gave all my money away, and I was like, "Okay," you know, "That's what you got to do." And so my son's in the car with me, and he's just like, "Wow," you know, "That really happened." I was like, "Yeah, that really happened." You know, it's it's amazing, and. The, the guy didn't stay sober. I haven't talked to him since, you know. But that was for me. That was my spiritual experience. That was my higher power letting me know, you know. And I could ta- I could have looked at that a different way. Oh, I can't get this guy sober. I'm bummed out, you know. But no, I looked at it and said, you know, that was for me. That was for me to to reestablish my connection. When I start to doubt, when I start to have lack of faith, my higher power gives me something like that to reestablish, you know. And generally, I try to. Have gratitude for that and uh, try to learn from it. I'm trying to be a student every day because it requires me to be every day. So, uh, thanks for listening to me. Thanks for having me out. Congratulations to all the anniversaries. And, uh, yeah, go ahead. And
1: our next speaker is Mark from Nightingales. Good evening, everybody. My name is Mark, and I have alcoholism. And as you probably noticed, I'm hot. (laughs) Just literally hot. I'm not hot. Anyways, uh, I believe that uh, I am here tonight as a direct result of prayer. And I'm going to start with sharing why I say that. Uh, approximately, I want to say it was, uh, probably, I don't know exactly. I know it was right before I hit my bottom. Um, I was desperate. I was once again manipulating to get money for my disease. Uh, the only person that, uh. I was able to do that with, at that point in time, was my sister. She was my great enabler. And I remember calling her on the phone and threatening her that if she did not give me $100, she was going to be responsible for what I had to do to get that $100. That's a horrible thing to do to somebody. But that was Mark as an active alcoholic. And... uh I told her, if I have to go out and hurt someone to get this $100, it's going to be your fault. I can't even believe that I said that. But I did. And my sister by this time was uh, ready to, uh, she'd been talking to some people who were uh, versed in dealing with people like us. And she told me no. No. I was like, no. She said, no, I'm not going to give you the money. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And then I heard a bunch of voices in the background. And I said, what the hell's going on there? She goes, it's a bunch of my friends from church, and we're here praying for you right now. And I'll never forget my response. I don't want to forget this. You think that I was Satan himself and I just got dust with holy water. I was like, you stop that now. I was adamant. I was like screaming at her on the phone. Like, who doesn't want to be prayed for? And I was like, you stop that now. I was screaming at her. And I'm grateful. She said, I will not. And she slammed the phone down. And it was shortly thereafter I hit my bottom. That was over 16 and a half years ago. So I believe that those prayers had some, some basis in my being here today, and me living the life that I'm living today. And so how did I find a spiritual awakening? Well, You know, before I even worked the steps, I hit a bottom where I felt like I was in a free fall of darkness. I was just in such despair. And I just felt like... I just felt like there was nothing left for me. And, you know, when they talk about I didn't want to live and I didn't want to die, and I just didn't know what to do anymore, I just was... I was at that proverbial bottom... And I just didn't know what to do. And the only thing I could think of was I'd been coming to AA for a while to get manageability back in my life. Manageability meant I could get my job back. I could get my license back. I could get my family off my back. But I had no desire to quit drinking. So I'd been coming to the rooms for a little bit. But I wasn't staying clean or sober. But seeds got planted at that meeting. That's why I like to reach out and tell people, if you're here tonight, and you're listening to me, and in your head you're thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good for you. I don't know how this thing helps you, but thank God it does. But it's not for me. That's okay, because I've been there. But I'll tell you this, if you're a real alcoholic, if you're a real alcoholic, and you survive this thing, seeds will be planted here, and if not at this meeting, at some meeting, by somebody that when you hit your bottom the words that you thought you weren't hearing a damn thing are going to mean something to you. Because that's been my experience. Now, I, I looked through my big book, and thank God I got asked to do this tonight because I haven't opened my big book in a little while. I'm being perfectly honest. <laughs> um, but I have opened it a few times because it's, it's wearing out a little bit. But I, I made some highlights, and my, my sponsor likes to talk about bullets. And what Bullets are basically is they're the Keep It Simple program of Alcoholics Anonymous. They're little snippets that I've read or have been shared at a meeting and they either hit me at that moment or when the when the timing is right, the more is revealed. All of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, now I know what that means. So... If you'll bear with me, I just wanted to share a few of the bullets that meant something to me. And the first one was that meant something to me was um, in, in page 29 of, uh, of our big book. It's in there as a solution. In the second paragraph it says, Each individual in their personal stories describes in his own language and from his own point of view, the way he established his relationship with God. And then I wrote in parentheses, mine started with the we, the we of the first step. So it wasn't too hard for me. My first higher power was you guys. And this told me that was okay to do. The next bullet I wanted to point out was on page 45, and it's in We Agnostics. And that is in the second paragraph, and it it said that lack of power was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves. Obviously. But where and how were we to find this power? And once again, for me, it was in the rooms. It was you guys who were my power. Every day I was getting up, especially in my first 90 days, and I was... There's I heard a guy share this in a meeting in my early recovery said I woke up every morning and there sat my disease at the end of my bed and it was just talking to me and the only way he kept that disease at bay was he would ta- he would take himself to a meeting and when he got to the meeting he would sit down and he would replace those voices with the with you guys voices and all of a sudden His whole attitude and outlook started to change. And I said, that's what's happening for me. So that's exactly what this book is about. Really. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. Now, I missed that the first time I read it with a sponsor. But I caught it later on. Because having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, well, I finally got that when I started working with a sponsor and I started getting through the steps. But I I was already experiencing a spiritual awakening. The next thing I wanted to share was the bullets, a bullet from page 46. And that was on uh, the third paragraph of We Agnostics. And it says... This was a good one. Much to our relief, this was much to my relief. I've replaced a lot of this with my own language that helped me relate to it. I've got a lot of notes in here where, you know, Mark had to customize this thing for himself. So much to my relief, I discovered that I need not consider another person's conception of God. I didn't have to accept your conception. I was like, "Woo, Good. Our own conception, however however inadequate, which meant spiritual progress, not perfection. I was like, oh, that's good. Because <laughs> I used to think spirituality meant perfection. And it's not. However inadequate, was sufficient to make the approach and to affect a contact with Him. And I was like, wow. The next bullet I wanted to share was on page 53. I don't remember what it is, but we'll find out as soon as we get there. That was in the second paragraph. And that says, when we, when we became alcoholics crushed by self-imposed crisis, we could not postpone or evade. We had to fearlessly face the proposition. And I love this one because my current sponsor shared this a lot. And when I first heard him share it, I was like, wow, that's a pretty tall order because you know I don't know about you guys but as an active alcoholic i thought pretty black and white and it was we could not postpone or evade we had to fearlessly face the proposition that god is everything or else he is nothing and i was like really he's everything or he is nothing isn't there like some gray area in there you know i was like i, I you know i was like wow that's a lot of you know He is nothing. God is either He is or He isn't. What was our choice to be? Well, I believe that with all my heart today. And that came from doing the work, from doing the 12 steps. Today I do believe, you know, God is everything in my life. He is everything in my life. But that doesn't come right away. And I'm so grateful for that. The other bullet I want to share is one we're all familiar with. If you've worked the 12 steps, if you've worked the third step with a sponsor, I remember doing the third step prayer with my first sponsor. And we said the third step prayer. And if you'll bear with me, I want to recite it because I just, I love it. It's, it's, a, it's such a surrender. It's very humbling. And I remember doing this on my knees with my sponsor in the church that he did it in, only because that's where he did it. So here I am. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou will. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do your will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of Thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. And when I finished that prayer with this sponsor, he said, Well, what do you think? I said, Is that it? <laughs> I was like, Is that it? I thought maybe you know a beam of light would come down. You know, I, I was still relatively new in recovery. And he said, Mark, he says, why don't you remind me of what you've been doing for the last few months? I said, well, every day I've been getting up and I've been recognizing that I'm, I am so powerless over alcohol and I've been running to the weird of Fellowship every day. I've been going to two and three meetings every day. I said, and I've been turning my will and my you know, I've been turning my thoughts and my actions, my will and my life or my thoughts and my actions over to that power greater than myself, which was you guys, you know? And I was doing that third step, you know? I was was surrendering myself to that power greater than myself. And he says, doesn't that kind of put that whole prayer into perspective. He says, basically, you've been doing this prayer since day one when you came in. That's when I felt flush with a spiritual experience. I was like, wow. It's the simplicity of the spirituality which has allowed me to grow. Not that, not the, the, you know, I want to make everything it's got to be rainbows and technical and, you know, it's got to be, you know, angels. And no, it doesn't. It's the simplicity of what's going on at any given meeting, at any given experience, any given alcoholic who shares. And the the last part of the bullets I wanted to share was way back here in page 570, which is, no no coincidence it's in the second page of uh, spiritual experience and it says most emphatically we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts he can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial so, I'm the only one who can defeat me in this journey. We find no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. It's not hard. Willingness, honesty, and open mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. And then there's one thing here it's a quote from Herbert Spencer that. Uh, used to be shared quite a bit. I don't hear it too much very often. But go, There's a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. So if I'm closing the door on anything, spiritual or otherwise, which I used to do, that's great, it'll work for you. It's not going to work for me. I am not trying that, or I am not asking for help, or I am not doing that. Then it's not going to work for me. So how did I come about a couple of things? I wanted to share a couple of experiences I had in Alcoholics Anonymous about my spiritual experiences. And I'll be brief with these. But one was, in the beginning... I heard this thing about prayer. And, um, you know, being, uh, being hard-headed, like, I don't know about you guys, but I can tend to be pretty hard-headed, especially as an active alcoholic. In early recovery, I was like, I heard people talking about, put your shoes under the bed, you get on your knees, you pray, you get your shoes out in the morning, you get on the knees, you, you know, ask God to keep you sober that day. And I was like, Oh my God, really? <laughs> That's what's going on in here. You didn't hear it, but that was what was going on in here. But I am teachable. Here's what I'm thinking while I'm hearing this. God's all omnipotent. I can pray any damn way I want, anywhere I want, and I do believe this. So I'm gonna pray any damn way I which way I please. So that's not gonna work for me. So I'm already contempt. You know, I'm closing the door on that idea. And then I'm in a meeting one night and I'm hearing this young girl share her experience with getting on her knees to pray. And she was talking about how how the humility of it, not the humiliation, but the humility of it, the humbling how she was fearful of it but she was practicing it and she said it felt it was feeling kind of good to her but she was embarrassed about it so she went to her first convention downtown and she was sharing a room with her sponsor and some women that had a little more sobriety and so she got in the bathroom and she got on her knees and she started to pray And she didn't lock the door. And her sponsor came into the bathroom and was like, oh, excuse me, saw her on her knees in the bathroom. And the girl jumped up and said, I was so embarrassed. And her sponsor said, no, no, no. She goes, get on your knees. And she was looking at her. And she said, she got on her knees. She goes, let's pray together. And they started praying together. And she said at that moment, she didn't feel embarrassed about it at all anymore. And it was uh, just a wonderful experience. The second thing I want to share, and this will be the end of what I'm sharing tonight, was at about 90 days sober, I just got my first home group. I'm going to be getting this sponsor, dude, and I'm going to be reading from this book. And You know, I got all this stuff going on. I got outpatient going on, and I'm willing to go to outpatient now. I'm not balking at it anymore, and I'm accepting that this—I put myself there. I got to do it. And uh, every morning, though, I'm—I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. So I'm reading from this uh, a a daily reflection thing for men, and I'm reading a reading every morning. So I'm at my sister's kitchen table, and I'm reading from it, and. Then uh, I got this little this book right here. Ruby gave me this, and uh, I don't know how many of you have met Ruby. Uh, she's no longer with us, but Ruby was uh, very intimidating to me when I first met her. I was a patient up at uh, Norris Clinic, and it was at the Christmas party. And I had no desire to quit drinking, but Ruby gave me one of these as a Christmas present. And I got back to my bunk that night, and I went, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> and I threw it on my bunk. I was like, are you kidding me? I know what this means. Came to believe my ass. This is all about God. <laughs> yeah, I'm just being honest with you. Well, I'm about 90 days sober, and I'm sitting there, and I'm thirsty for recovery now. I'm willing. And I'm reading people's spiritual experiences because even though I'm using the We at a Program as my first higher power, I wanted to know what other people's experiences were. And I got to page this story at the top of page 97. And the story, though, is, is called um, What is it called? It's called Evidence of a Miracle. Very appropriate. Evidence of a miracle. And I'm reading this story, and I'm just going along, and you know, it's a good story. But I get to this one sentence, and I don't know why God spoke to me in this one sentence. I share it a lot. A lot of you who know me have heard it a million times. But to me, it was God talking to me in this one sentence. And the sentence is, I sought my soul, my soul I could not see. I sought my God, my God eluded me. I sought my brother, and I found all three. And in that moment, I just felt, I felt goosebumps. I was like, because I'd been using my brother as my higher power, and here's a guy talking about They found their God to the same way. And I just, I was flush with, I just had a, I was like, I got hit with a spiritual bolt. And so I ran to my group that morning. And the little old lady, she was in her 70s, who used to, you know, sign us in for group. Morning, Mark. How are you doing today? And I walked up to her. You think I just took some kind of... I think she thought I was smoking crack again, you know? And I walked up and I said to her, I said, I'm doing wonderful. I said, I said, guess what? I got a God and my God kicks ass. And she looked at me and I went, Oh, I said, I'm sorry. And she went, no, you have nothing to apologize for. She was so happy because she knew something was different with me. And so those were just a few of my experiences with the spiritual awakening. And today, I do believe with all my heart, God, boy, God is everything to me. So that's all I wanted to share. Thank you.
2: (laughs) Okay, so
1: we're going to take a quick uh, seven-minute break. Just as a reminder, the first episode is going on, so when you guys go to outside, just be quiet. Um, respectful of that. Thanks.
2: Hi, I'm Jessica. I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is June 27th of 2009. Um, this is my home group. I love this group. I really, really love this group. I was talking to... A friend yesterday and he said, Are you going to be at the group? And I said, Yeah, like it's so good for my soul to come here. And if you don't have a home group where you feel like that, then please, please get one because you're missing out. Um, I have a sponsor who I work with very closely still. Um, I do sponsor women. Um, I have a service position. I am serving as your intergroup chair, which sounds so fancy, but I have no ability to vote unless there's a tie and I don't get to express my opinion. So I, don't imagine, I can't imagine a more position of just utter service to Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I was thinking about when the other speakers were thinking about how perfect this is for me to speak about coming to Believe tonight. Um, the past year for me has been um, traumatic with a lot of family stuff. My family relationship um, has always been up and down, and... Uh, My brother died of alcoholism in November, and um, my parents are not speaking to me right now. Um, And so I'm going to kind of go into that, but really what this serves to do for me tonight right, is to talk about my experience and my belief in God. Right, which is amongst all of this stuff where I feel so away from God, right, so much like I have a punishing God, so much like, why is this happening to me? Why can't I catch a break? um like look at all these things that have happened to me, um you know i I need a break and um and so it's so fortunate that I get to speak about this. Um, So I just want to talk a little bit about what it was like when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I remember I went to this Friday night meeting in Chicago, which is where I got sober, and this person, I like remember exactly where I was in the room, and this person is talking about the ninth step and making amends, and about how there was someone on their A step list that they couldn't get a hold of, and then they got an email from them, and that they knew it was now the right time to make this amends. And I just remember thinking, like, that's just a coincidence. Right, and and that's what I believed I really believed that that's what it was I grew up in a house, uh, my mother was raised Catholic, um, grew up with a cousin the same age as her that was left handed that she watched get beat by the nuns because she wrote with her left hand uh, my dad's mother is Jewish and his father is Catholic and it's uh, there was a lot of drama around religion in that where my father's family didn't celebrate any religion so I came up and I had no religion um, and no God my dad is very brilliant and just didn't believe in a God, and and so I kind of idolized him in some ways, and so that is kind of the position that I took. Um, you know, and I think that My belief in God before I came to Alcoholics Anonymous can really be captured with this sentiment. When I was in uh, my freshman year of high school, my mother was diagnosed with lung cancer um, and ended up having surgery to uh, remove her entire right lung, Um, and she's still alive today. And somebody said to me, like, aren't you so grateful like God answered your prayers? And I said, my mom's alive because they cut out the cancer, period, end of story right? Like, physically, all of the cancer cells were removed from my mother's body, and that's why she's alive. And there is truth to that. There really is. But there's also um, this idea that maybe, just maybe, there's a power greater than myself um, working in my life. And what I can see about that experience now, my mom is, um, I would say, an alcoholic. Um, She just... uh, She stopped drinking about nine years ago, and that when she got cancer, her drinking accelerated to the point where it brought her to a physical bottom, where she ended up um, almost being killed by alcohol. I've never seen anyone in my life as physically sick as my mother was. based on her sheer physical addiction to alcohol. Um, and so she got sober, and as a result, she went into a detox. She came out. They gave her a big book in detox, and um, that was in 2007. And I stopped drinking in October of 2008. So shortly thereafter, I started to see my own drinking um, for what it was and asked her for that big book. She then went on for about nine years of abstinence. Um, she recently relapsed and was in detox, and it's un- clear to me right now whether or not she is sober, but I really believe and can see today, right, she is, I was 14 years old, so not to date myself, but I was 18 years ago she had cancer, I'll be 32 at the end of this month, and for all medical intents and purposes, she is cancer-free, right? It is is as if she had never had cancer right now. And so, I think, and I think today, well, maybe she got cancer because maybe that escalated her drinking, which got her into the detox, which got her to a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which allowed me to find the program at age 24. And I don't know if that's true or not, but I choose to believe that, right? Like, I'm able to see, even in that terribly tragic situation, just a little glimmer of hope, right? A little shift in perspective that allows me to look at life in just a little bit of a different way. And that's what Alcoholics Anonymous has offered me, right? I came to Alcoholics Anonymous dying on the inside, right? Somebody read this thing about, you know, not wanting to live, but also not wanting to die. And that couldn't, uh, that, was, that was it for me, right? I kept achieving everything I was supposed to be achieving. And every time I achieved something else on the outside, I felt as if correspondingly I died a little bit more on the inside. And what I recognize now and what I truly believe and have learned in Alcoholics Anonymous, right, is I have a spiritual malady, and there was just this hole in my soul. And the only thing that has ever been able to bring me any peace, true peace, and lasting peace, is the search for God, right, which is what you guys have taught me in Alcoholics Anonymous. And so, I feel like I'm all over the place, but that's about that. So, so, I came into the program and and I really I really had no idea what this was about, right? My mom didn't stay in alcoholics anonymous. She hasn't stayed and um and I thought that you guys would help me stop drinking, which you did in some ways, right? But I did not know that there was a profound personality challenge that was going to occur, right? As a result of working the program of alcoholics anonymous. And over the past seven years of my sobriety, there have been many moments where I have done unesteemable acts. I would be lying to you if I didn't. Um, but there are two things that I have been able to do consistently throughout the time I've been in AA, which is one, to be honest about them, and two, not to drink. And so for me, those are the two most fundamental things about this program. So get with a sponsor and get someone you can be honest with and share And share and share and share and just be honest. And that's kind of what I heard with Adam when he was talking about his sponsees, right? Like this idea about like what we do is we just kind of come back and we're honest. Um, and so for a long time I I really just believed that like the possibility of of everyone finding Alcoholics Anonymous was out there, right? And I I heard a speaker share from this podium actually probably a couple years ago this idea that if we go out and if we start drinking again, right? The windows are always open, literally, tonight, but, you know, the window back to Alcoholics Anonymous is always open, right? We are here tonight, right? If the newcomer walks through the door, we will welcome you. We will offer you the solution. We will share our experience and maybe even give you a ride or or buy you a meal. Um, But the question is, am I going to be able to make it back, Am I going to be able to make it back through the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous? And my opinion about that changed dramatically last November when my brother died. And that, to me, has been probably the most profound spiritual experience that I've ever had in a way that I never thought I would be able to be touched by this program. And to look back at that experience, I think I'm going to probably talk pretty in-depth about it, but it's there are moments of laughter and moments of joy and also the undeniable power of God in my life through that situation, which doesn't seem to me to make sense, right? So how does the death of my brother increase my belief in God, right? Shouldn't it do the opposite, right? Like, that's what I wondered, and that's what I thought, and for some reason it has worked entirely the opposite way. And, um, The other thing I wanted to say before I started talking about my brother was this idea about... God and the way God speaks to me and and I don't know how I really found that relationship with God. I have early memories of being sober after being sober in Chicago. I moved to New York City and praying in my bathroom and banging on the floor and screaming at a God that I didn't understand about what was going on with me. And so at some point there I got a little bit of willingness, right, to get down on my knees as Mark talked about and to pray and to pray to a God that I didn't understand and that I didn't know what it was. And And I started to just do it, and now I do it, you know, and my prayer and meditation has been off for the past couple of months, and my suffering has been great, maybe because of my external circumstances, probably partially, but also maybe because I'm not meditating as much. I have this app on my phone, and it charts your progress, which is like really awesome for obsessive compulsive alcoholics. And I just looked at the amount of minutes I had been meditating in prior months and the amounts that I had meditated in the month of August. And it was so low. And I was like, I wonder why the suffering was so great, you know, and maybe there's a relationship there. But, um, the other thing that I do, um, in my morning, uh, routine is I read spiritual readings and, uh, I have never seen God so clearly as in those readings, right? These are readers that I pick up normally. I get an email from Hazleton, and I have a daily reader that I go through, and that daily reader is so on point that it's terrifying. Like, I mean, it is as if someone has spoke to me directly about the particular issue that I am dealing with, and that to me has been you know, I frequently will like forward them to my sponsor and be like, "Can you believe this?" And she's like, "Yes," <laughs> and um, and that for me has been so powerful. Like in those moments of tremendous doubt, like I wake up and I open the book to you know September 11th will be tomorrow, and I'll read the reading, and I'm touched in my heart in a way that is just unbelievable to me. Um, but a little bit um, about my brother and about that experience was, um, and I don't know if I've ever really shared from the podium about this, um, so it's probably an opportunity for me to heal a little bit more. And um, I just want to say, as I went through that process, as I continued to grieve, you know, the one thing I did was I showed up in Alcoholics Anonymous, right? And people said to me, like, I can't believe, you know, we're kind of surprised at my reaction. And, and what I can tell you is I just kept coming to AA, right? I just showed up. And I'd lose my train of thought, and this would happen at work, and I couldn't focus. But I just kept showing up, right? And people said, well, how did you get through it? And I I just did AA, which is the same thing that I would tell you if you can't stay away from a drink, right, if you're trying to quit smoking, if you've got any other kind of problem in your life, is that AA is the solution, right, and that I've been trying to get to this uh, 7.30 in the morning meeting, and I've made it, you know, once a week for the past, like, you know, every other week or something, and, like, that changes my life, right, like, the solution is not to get into work an hour and a half earlier, right, the solution is to start the day with Alcoholics Anonymous. Like, and that saves my life, and uh, it's unbelievable to me how much that changes, and also how I can stand here with every, you know, molecule in my body believing that, and then there's still alcoholism right here, which is like, well... There's all those emails, right? You know, you have to do that, you know? And so it still pulls, right? Continual experience with this as the solution, right? And I'm still tempted to do my will, right? Which is that I think if I just work harder, if I just try harder, if I just do it right, like that's my story, right? Like that there's a way out there to do whatever situation there is right. And if I just did it right, then I would be okay. Um, and so the... You know, my brother had you know drank um, I used a lot with my brother um, I have memories of doing a lot of things with him. He was two and a half years younger to the minute um than I was, and so we grew up, and we were really, really close, and then I got sober when I was 24 years old, and there were years there where we drifted apart, and there was nothing that happened, there was no fight, there was no nothing, it was just he was actively using and I wasn't, and I was trying to get my bearings, right? I did an early sobriety, and I'm still in early sobriety, but those early years, it's like you don't know how to navigate, right? How do you do Thanksgiving dinner when you're not so drunk you're dropping the wine glasses in the sink? Like, I didn't know how to do life, without drinking, and so um and unfortunately, or fortunately, the way you, fortunately the situation I'm in now. My family, my parents live in Chicago. My brother, when he died, was living in Baltimore, and I live here. And um, so we were geographically far, which makes it easier to not see how strained or how distant that relationship is because you're not seeing these people on a day-to-day basis. And so I had known that he had had some problems, um, you know, with alcohol, and there was probably two or three summers. So he died in 2015. So maybe. Two 2012, 2013, right? There were some times where it was clear that he had a problem with alcohol. Um, and then things seemed to get better. He also, I suffer from mental health stuff, but he suffered from very active mental illness, right? And, and suicide attempts and things like that. And so we knew that he, you know, definitely suffered. And then he seems to have gotten better, right? And my mom is, um, not well, and we were home for Christmas in 2014, you know, and he had a beer or two, and, um, appeared at ease, right? And we had this conversation. You know, For me, I feel very connected to him in the gym. And so we were working out together, which is the thing that we did. And he has this conversation with me where he's reflecting upon a situation. And the insight that he had about that situation was just remarkable to me, right? Something that Alcoholics Anonymous has taught me, right, about how to look at situations, how to see my part, how to see the other people's part. And I thought, like, he just was a—I think I'm going to knock this— He just, I was thinking, like, he was just a heavy drinker, right? Like, look at this. Like, he is, he's okay. Like, deeply believed that he was okay. And him and his fiancé were very private, like, super private people. And so that was in December and into January of 2015, and we didn't really think anything of it, right? We would be in touch with each other. We were way more in touch in the past couple of years, and, um... And so we would talk, and we would text back and forth, and we had this great relationship, so I thought absolutely nothing of it. I had no idea that he was suffering the way that he was. And um, he was going to do... So he was found unconscious on October uh, 28th, and then died on November 7th, and um, was going to do a sober November, right? Like, I don't know if we took a show of hands right here, how many of us, before we got sober, thought that the solution to our drinking problem was 30 days of sobriety. Like, I tried that multiple times, you know? And so that's what he was going to do, and his fiance is um, not an alcoholic, doesn't drink coffee, because she doesn't like to feel the results of caffeine, you know, like, she's one of those people that is just so, like, the actual opposite of an alcoholic, and actually not even codependent with him or anything like that, just really tolerant and very much loved him, and so his drinking was bad, and um, so... October 28th was a Wednesday, and, um, Tuesday night he got word he was working on decks that he wasn't gonna have to work on Wednesday, and so he went out and bought some drugs and stayed up all night doing those drugs, and, uh... When his fiance went to school the next day, it was like 11 o'clock in the morning on the 28th, it was, you know, I just want to die. I hate myself. I can't do this. And I just know those feelings, right? Like that's what it feels like to suffer as an alcoholic, right? Like just this utter despair of like, I can't, go on like this, but I don't want to kill myself, but I don't know what to do, and um, he sat, you know, that day, Wednesday, with, you know, a can, you know, a a 30-rack of beer. They call it, like, Natty Bo. It's, like, the equivalent of, like, the Genesee Brewery in in Boston, and so he sat, and he drank beer all day, and when she came home from class that night, he was, you know, unconscious and, you know, probably had alcohol poisoning. He was pale. She couldn't wake him, um, shallow-breathing. And she had a bad feeling, and so she sat with him, and then she called 911 an hour and a half or two hours later when he stopped breathing. And uh, I have the fortunate or unfortunate um, connection that my uncle is a Baltimore Fire Department chief, so we were able to get the play-by-play in those last couple minutes after he looked it up. And, you know, he crashed twice at the house, crashed again at the ER, and they were able to get him stable and on life support. And I got the call on Thursday morning um, that this had happened. And uh, and I drove to Baltimore, and um, we were there, and we saw him in the hospital. And at this point, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen, right? We didn't know. and um, And I prayed so much, and I have a funny story, so I don't know hopefully you don't have experience being in the ICU, but you could imagine that my brother was hooked up to a tremendous amount of machines and so I was like on the far side of the bed, he was in his own room right at Hopkins, which is a beautiful hospital but I'm on the far side and I'm on my knees and I'm like praying to God and the nurse because they have one nurse assigned, comes in and sees me and thinks that I have fallen, right, as a result of some kind of reaction and so she comes over and she touches me and anybody that's familiar with my personality, like I scream. At her, And I was like, "Don't touch me!" Uh, and, um, and so she like immediately left. <laughs> And, um, you know, I, I went outside and, you know, today in Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Like that's still my, that is me, right? There is, I am still Jessica as I was before, but I have a little bit of a different way to live today. And I said to her, I am so sorry. And she said, I am so sorry. Like I thought you fell and then I realized you were praying, but I was too close and I couldn't stop. And so there were these little moments of joy, right? And like able to laugh with her and to say that to her, but, um, You know, I kept, when I was there, and then I ended up going back, so we were there Thursday through Monday, and I just kept praying to him, like, and we didn't know if he was going to wake up, we didn't know, and uh, I just kept praying, like, please tell us what you want, like, show us what you want, Dan, you know, and... um, We found out the next day, or two days later, they did a CAT scan, and he had major, major brain dead. I mean, he was pretty much brain dead um, and was never going to come back, right? So the decision was made that he would be, you know, taken off of life support. And so, like, I got my answer, right? Not the answer that I wanted, but the answer probably that was best for a lot of reasons, because my brother, I am really believe probably would have never been able to come into this program and openly share ever with another alcoholic, just his own privacy and his, you know, fear. And, and I don't know, but I, I just know what he was feeling in those last hours. And in some ways, there was a relief to know, um, you know, what was going to happen and that, you know, we would, we would make the decision. And then to to be able to, in some ways, kind of have some peace with that, right? To get an answer that wasn't the answer that I wanted, but certainly he was the kind of guy that if he had come to and had to be, for example, just on dialysis, right, there was traumatic damage to his kidneys, right, Um, he wouldn't have wanted to live, right? Like, for him, that wasn't a life. You know, some of us would think, like, oh, my goodness, thank God, I can live, right? You know, and that's kind of the... um, that's the experience I see with people that have a relationship with a God, right, As if something traumatic happens, normally they're like, I, but I can still live, you know, and that wouldn't have been his experience, and so he passed, and uh, that was... Um, You know, the details of that were crazy, and I hope that you never, you know, are in that experience, but, like, I can tell you that, like, I can share that with you. You know, I'm not going to share those details from the podium, but it's a horrible thing, and it's possible to get through it sober. And I came home, and I was driving back in the car with my boyfriend who, you know, just um, was, like, able to show up in a way that... I just, he's not an alcoholic, but it's just, like, unbelievable to me, like, what normal people are capable of, and when I'm, (laughs) when I'm stressed out, I am, like, not a very nice person, um, and I, uh, he just kind of dealt with me and was able to kind of keep me in line, and so I said to him, like, on the way back, like, I just, I just don't understand if God's will was for my brother to die, like, why nine or ten days on life support? Like, why? Like, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. Why all of this to be revived? And he said to me, like, you know, but, like, we got to have this time together, right? Like, this, these drives to Baltimore, which were six or six and a half hours, and to spend this time together, you know, which is, like, I don't wish that on any of you in your relationships, but it's um, quite illuminating, right, to a relationship to kind of go through this kind of tr- intense trauma. And I sat to him, and he said, you know, you know, and I realized that, like, that was my brother's gift to me, right? Like, we had been, our relationship had struggles, and I struggle a lot with that relationship. Um, and I'm not shy about it, but that was, you know, a gift to me. And so it was like a gift from my brother to me, right? That who would have thought that that's what, where am I on time? I'm okay. okay. Oh, I'm almost done. So that was the big Yay! (laughs) No, but, right, but, like, how can I find a gift in that situation? But I did, and it is all a result of God, you know. And I just will close with saying that, like, you know, the reason my parents aren't talking to me is because I made a healthy decision to not engage with their sickness, and now I am living the repercussion. But, like, I know that it's going to be okay. Like, it's really, really, really going to be okay. Okay? And that, you know, God's plan for me is so good. And, you know, what I think my relationship with my parents should look like is totally, you know,. I don't know, you know, but I can tell you two other things that, like, my side of the street is clean, you know, my mom is not well physically, and that if I were to get a call that she passed, there's nothing on my side of the street that needs to get done. So do your steps, and, you know, and be so grateful for this life you have, and that if you feel like drinking, you know, you're an alcoholic, so you probably should feel like drinking, right? If you feel like, you know, in, you know, doing this, and that there's a way to live, and to live with some freedom, and it's hard, and it's not not always easy but we can do it like with the support of everyone here so thank you all for listening and <laughs>